I'm David Plouffe. And I'm Steve Schmidt. And this is Battleground, a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. This week, we're joined by Mike Duhame, Republican strategist who helped Governor Chris Christie win in the notoriously Democratic state of New Jersey, my home state also. But now he is calling on Republicans to push back on Trump's unsubstantiated and un-American claims of fraud. First, David, let's catch up on the latest bullshit emanating from the White House. So, Steve, when we talked last weekend for this podcast, we were reflecting on the election results. We weren't surprised that Donald Trump was rejecting them and pretending that the election didn't happen and that he won. But here we are, and maybe I shouldn't be surprised, maybe I'm just a naive institutionalist, but to have this many Republicans, most of the Republican Party, saying maybe Donald Trump won. I'm shocked. I thought the Hannity's of the world and the Mike Lee's of the world and maybe even the Lindsey Graham's of the world and the Matt Getz's of the world would be singing the Trump playbook. But I thought by this point, we'd have more people saying Biden won, don't like it, but we've got to have a transition of peaceful transfer of power. It's shocking to me. Maybe I shouldn't be shocked, but what do you make of it? This is coming to an end in 58, 57 days, whatever it is. But like of all of the things that he's done, and you know, from my perspective in life, he's done some really bad things. He has lied about this virus, causing it to rage out of control with no effective response. We got a quarter million dead people. That's a terrible thing. His child separation policy was a terrible thing. Stoking a cold civil war in this country, all all of these things on a range from terrible to profoundly immoral. But by orders of magnitude, what he's doing right now, refusing to accept the results of this election, bar none, is the worst thing he has ever done. Bar none. The breaking of faith with the traditions of the country that go back to its very beginning. The idea that we have a system, we conduct free and fair elections, and we know that this was the cleanest election in American history from his own administration. This isn't hurting democracy. It's literally poisoning it. It's like a cyanide drip into the polity that relies on faith and belief in the system. It is appallingly bad, and it is incredible to see So many Republicans who know better doing nothing in this moment when their duty requires them to accept reality, and not just that, but to root for the country and to wish the new president well. The country's in the middle of a pandemic disaster, on the edge of the economic abyss for so many small businesses. It's an appalling moment. And we're going to live with the consequences of it, I think, for a really, 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 really long time. And I would just say the Mitch McConnells, the Kevin McCarthy's, I've known Kevin McCarthy for a long time. I mean, truly, what the fuck are you guys doing? What the fuck are you doing? Well, and the question, Steve, is if you have 30 to 40 percent of a country believing that the elections are not fair, that they are illegitimate, that the results can't be trusted. If that number stays there, much less grows, I think it's only a question of when this great experiment fails here, not whether it will. And so that to me is the important question is when we have congressional elections in 22 and when we have presidential elections in 24, 
Is this going to be the new playbook? And if it is, this democracy will not withstand that. It just simply won't. And that is what is so insidious about what Trump is doing. And of course, you look back at 16, they called their election, which was much closer than this one, a landslide. Hillary Clinton conceded. Everybody treated Donald Trump as the incoming president. Barack Obama sat with him in the Oval Office. That has been true in every election that we've had. This one is not particularly close. It's not as close as 16. It's not as close as 2004. It's a decisive Right. So here's my question for you. Like, is this just going to be a painful few weeks or is this how we're going to roll going forward where people who don't like the results of the election say it was rigged, it was fraudulent, I'm not going to concede? If we don't get this right, the whole thing's going to fall apart. We lose the country. Right. We're losing the country right now. Joe Biden is the president-elect of the United States. What we're seeing is unprecedented in the whole history of the country. It's a profound breaking of the faith and a deep violation of the oath of office. And this isn't a matter of counting votes. If Donald Trump said he wanted every vote counted, any questionable vote examined, okay, election law in the states allows him to do that. That's not what they're doing. And by the way, the news media has not covered itself in glory on this. Because when someone is being interviewed and they say, if Joe Biden wins, it's not a question of if Joe Biden wins. Joe Biden has won an election that's a free and fair election. The other thing they need to be asked is, why is it that every Senate race to get called for a Republican or Democrat, every House race that gets called for a Republican or Democrat, or by the way, any presidential state that gets called for Trump is okay. It's just the states that Trump lost. I mean, the thinness here of their defense. There is no defense. There is no line. These are not normal times. And, you know, Joe Biden has a great team around him. So they're going to figure out a way to get ready to take office, regardless of what Trump does. But the fact that you would be doing this at a time of national tragedy and emergency around the pandemic, and around the economy, it will echo through the decades. I think it's treasonous. I think what's happening right now, it's not politics. It's treason. It's certainly sedition. Right. For sure. It really is. I don't use the word lightly. That's the appropriate word for it. And by the way, can you imagine what they would be acting like if they had won? I think the drive to autocracy would be damn near complete. So Biden's win is kind of our last hope, honestly. I know that sounds dark, but that's kind of where I am. And if something doesn't change here, we're on dangerous course. But Steve, I could talk to you about this all day long, but we want to bring into our conversation here somebody you know very well. So I'll let you introduce him. Someone like you who's concerned about the future of the Republican Party and wants to stabilize it so that we can be a whole country again. Mike Duhame. If you're a Republican running for office, you have always wanted Mike Duhame on your side. He was a lead strategist for Governor Christie's 2009 and 2013 gubernatorial campaigns. He was political director of the Republican National Committee. He was a senior staffer for President George W. Bush, for Mayor Rudy Giuliani, and Senator John McCain. In 2014, he was senior advisor to the Republican Governors Association. He has worked on campaigns, both large and small, in more than 40 states and was awarded the 2014 Campaign Strategist of the Year by the American Association of Political Consultants. He is one of the best. Mike, welcome to Battleground. Hey, Steve. What's up, man? What's up, buddy? How you been, man? Thanks for inviting me on. Of course. You know, I was thinking back to election night. So I, I think about 1130, I kind of gave the nod. I was like, Biden's going to win. Yeah, me too. 
if it was about 11.30 for me, it was no later than 11.10 to 11.15 for you and Pluff, who actually have the gift of math. <laughs> so in a normal election, you would have started to communicate to the candidate that we're just going to be short. We're going to be short yep. here when these numbers come in. I mean, what do you think is happening behind closed doors in the West Wing of the White House right now? And then why is Kevin McCarthy, the minority leader of the House, he's a very sophisticated politician. I mean, he for sure can count votes. He wouldn't have the job if he couldn't. Why is he doing this? I think there's two questions there, so I'll try to take each of them one at a time. First, in terms of what's going on in the West Wing, I was talking to someone who really understands Pennsylvania politics and the numbers really well. And on the Republican side, and Trump was ahead of six or 700,000 at that point, but I said, am I looking at this right? It looks like Biden's going to come back. And, and he nailed it. He said, when it's all counted, Biden's going to win by about 50,000. And it's about 53,000 right now. So this was Tuesday night. So I think people who are sophisticated vote counters and understanding what was going on and looking at trends. Maybe you wouldn't at that point say Trump's definitely going to lose, but you would say it's definitely going to be close. It's definitely going to close in. So my guess is in Trump world, there are two camps, the people who really understand that and knew that going back to last Tuesday. But as you know, there are a lot of people in there who have never been on another campaign or anything and are believing what the president is saying. All three of us have probably spoken to people over the last week. I've spoken to people who are very smart, sophisticated political people or even people outside of politics who are, who are very smart people who are believing what he's saying because they don't have the experience that we have. They don't understand what kind of vote share should come out of Milwaukee County. And we do. So that's why I think it's incumbent on people who do understand to say that nothing nefarious has happened here, because there are a lot of good people who believe something bad has happened and it hasn't. So that's the answer your first question. I think there's probably two camps in there. Your second question about why Republican leaders are doing this. I think the new litmus test, Steve, for the Republican Party in 2022 and 2024, it's going to be where were you on Donald Trump? And right now, I think people like Secretary Pompeo think that if you yell the longest and the loudest, perpetuating this myth from up high, you're going to have a leg up in the Trump endorsement primary. And Trump, for all of the negatives, as we all know, he just got 72 million votes. Republicans did hold the Senate. They did pick up seats in the House. So if you're a Republican elected official, you're probably looking at Donald Trump as someone who can make or break you in a Republican primary coming up. And that's something that I think is going into the calculus. I'm not saying it's right. I'm just saying if you're an elected official and you're worried about 2022 or 2024, you want Trump with you, not with you, you're willing to maybe obviously bend the reality as you see it for your own personal political gain, I guess. So, Mike, you mentioned you've been a little bit surprised by very intelligent, grounded people, both in and out of politics who have bought into the Trump lie about the election. Talk a little bit more about that. I have some family members, too, who I thought, OK, they believed everything Trump said. But when it became clear that Trump lost, they'd be like, fine, I hate Biden, but he won. And I see them on social media buying into the entire argument, posting things about voting machines and posting things about Dominion and all this kind of stuff. Why do you think that is? Are we just at the point where Basically, whatever Trump says is the gospel for 25, 30 percent of the country. I think it's the three of us who've been active in politics and even people who listen to your podcast are very active in politics. That is a very small percentage of the American public who pay attention the way we do. Right. People really they look at election results at election night and they see Trump way ahead. And three days later, he's losing. They don't necessarily know why. And so when Donald Trump perpetuates this myth, they believe him. I think it is honest. It is an honest you know, mistake they're making because they believe Donald Trump and they don't have 
some expertise to fall back on the way that maybe we do. We can look at the numbers and understand how many votes come out of Clark County, Nevada, and how many votes come out of the collar counties around Philadelphia. And that, of course, Trump's not going to win Chester County and he's not going to win Bucks County when all the votes are counted. And we know that when we're looking at the map. And most people don't. And it is not their fault by any stretch. I think this is not their area of expertise, right? They're waking up, they're going to work every day, they're getting their kids to school, they're not paying attention to politics. The only thing they might be hearing in politics is you know, a little bit on the 11 o'clock news at night. And so that's why it's so important for leaders who do know better to say the truth, because there are many people who don't know better, and it's certainly not their fault. It's just not their field of expertise. It's like a- asking me specifics about biochemistry. I just don't know it. But if there was one biochemist I knew who told me something, I would believe that person because I have no basis of understanding otherwise. And I think that's the case we're in. Many of them trust one politician. It's the president of the United States. And if he's saying that these votes were fraudulent, then they believe it's fraudulent. Right. It is purposely misleading the very people who are most loyal and most faithful to him. To get them spun up, to get them angry, to give them false hope is just wrong. I mean, you're treating right. the very people who've treated you the best poorly. That shouldn't surprise us from Donald Trump. He's treated no one well in his orbit. I mean, how many people who've gone into the White House who maybe in 2017 thought, I have to do this for the country, even if I don't love Donald Trump, I have to do this for the country, and have been chewed up and spit out. He's shown no loyalty to anybody outside of his immediate family. That's the part that's so angry, because you're misleading the very people who actually tried to keep him in office. Well, I'll tell you one thing. When I listen to a biochemist, I hear Antifa speaking (laughs) and uh, the siren song of socialism and the establishment. Once again, I've fallen for the establishment. I've fallen for the deep state establishment. Talking points always. (laughs) We're going to take a short break. We'll be right back with Mike Duhame. Welcome to Battleground. You know, I asked a friend of ours, I won't out him, but one of the smartest guys in politics is a consultant. And I posed the question to him. I said, why is the polling fucked up? And was yours? And he said, no, ours was pretty good. And I said, what do you attribute it to? And his answer was genius. And I think it's right. And what he said was, we're undercounting older white conservatives. He said there's a myth that the hardest people to reach in polling, right, have been inner city minorities. That's the hardest people to get on the telephone. But you have a demographic in this country that's been poisoned into not believing in anything, that around every corner there's a conspiracy. If you're a long-term Fox watcher hours a day, I mean, you're just not going to pick up the phone from someone whose number you don't know. If you believe there's a conspiracy everywhere, there are malevolent forces shaping outcomes which are deleterious to you that only Donald Trump can protect you from, you're definitely not answering the phone. And he attributed that to the undercount. But like we live in an age where I think conservatism is assumed that disbelief is just the default setting. Do you remember when we used to do ads and you would sit in a campaign and you're like, what can we get away with? How close to the line can we say this? You would have a debate. You'd be like, too much, too much. We can't, right? And you would try to get up to the line because you knew that there was a price to pay for being inaccurate, factually. You couldn't go over the line. seems like that ship has sailed now, though. (laughs) You think? (laughs) (laughs) But but can can everybody pull that off? Or again, is this one thing where Trump could cross any line, but will others pay more of a price? Or has that ship sailed? Well, Kevin McCarthy just did it. 
which forever, in my view, disqualifying him from being Speaker of the House. How do you elevate a guy to the speakership, constitutional office in the line of succession who doesn't believe in the integrity of U.S. elections and democracy? I mean, Donald Trump pulls it off in a way because he somehow doesn't care what he's saying and doesn't care if it's consistent with what he said yesterday. And he's remarkable at saying something that may be 180 degrees different from the day before, but saying it with an incredible passion and vigor. And he just doesn't care. I, I don't know how many politicians can actually truly pull that off as well as he could, even if they wanted to. It's a gift and a curse, I suppose, his ability to do that. No, he's the greatest of all time at like lying. I mean, he's the greatest con man in history. For sure. Like, who's even close to the guy? One thing he got, and, and there were some people who said this to me in 2015, watch out for this guy. Like, when many people were not giving him the credit because he is so charismatic. He has the ability to do this. You know, he had a number one rated show for a reason. He was on WWE for a reason. He is a showman. He is great. He will bring people in. He, I guess, understood maybe before the rest of us that just maybe turn this whole thing into a reality show where you need a hero and a villain. And it's not really reality. It's a reality show. And he benefited so much from being a reality TV star. I think he just continues to do that now. And in order to do that, there has to be a plot line and a villain and he's the hero. And now he can't get out of it because truth has caught up to the reality and that people have actually voted again. Listen, I'm tired of dumb fucks in power, but I'm more tired of people who aren't dumb fucks acting like one to appease those <laughs> they think that are. And listen, the brilliant Kayla McEnany, she was asked, is Trump going to go to the inauguration? She said, well, of course, I think he has to attend his own inauguration. I mean, it's just batshit crazy and so destructive. Yep. I'm not optimistic that there's going to be a lot of legislative progress, but let's say there's an infrastructure bill or some skinny down comprehensive immigration reform that looks like there's some Republican interest in the Senate. How likely is it that these Republican senators, though, get pressure from their voters and their donors and their volunteers, not on the policy, just say, you can't do anything with Biden. He's not a legitimate president. I mean, is that going to wane a little bit over the next few months or do you think that's going to be a challenge? I do think it's going to be a challenge because people are going to go back to their own constituencies, especially in states that are maybe deeper red than others. I think they're going to say, okay, my only challenge really to keeping this job is in a primary. I think there became a time, probably going back to the 2010 election, where Republicans decided obstruction was the policy that we were going to be rewarded for. I think we'll grow out of that at some point. But I do think that in the last 15 years or so in politics, you do not get rewarded for compromise. You are punished for that in politics right now. And it's a bad thing. And I think our elected officials are reacting to what their constituents seem to want. One of the Republican leaders in my state, who's the assembly leader, is out there saying that Trump is wrong for doing this. And he's getting crushed by folks from the right wing because they believe Trump over him. And whether it's fact or fiction, they're believing the fiction if Trump is the one who's saying it. And at some point, I hope that wanes. But it requires more and more people telling the truth, especially about this one, where it's so categorical. I'll just say this. I lived for eight years of my life in Washington, D.C., and it's a much better city today than it was when we lived there. It's changed over the 12 years that I've been gone. But like eight years was enough. And I remember flying back from Dulles literally every Friday afternoon to California. And I was always up front. I was a million mile flyer with the airline. You would see John Garamendi from California, Dan Lundgren. It's a six and a half hour flight back. And I just said, God, like who would cram themselves week in, week out into that middle seat for 40 fucking years doing this, right? Like that, like more than life itself, they want to be a member of Congress. I think it's so strange 
this was always designed to be something that you did a little bit of service. Hopefully, you had accomplished people, pragmatic people, smart people who said, I want to serve for a period of time. But it's, I, I've, I wonder this all the time. It's constantly something I think about. And I don't know, other than to say, we got some characters in American politics who probably would serve the country better finding something new, as Ivanka Trump might say. I think relevancy is a hell of a drug. It, it must be. I think that the desire to be called by the title and to have reporters return your calls and to go on cable TV. I mean, it's just that relevance it matters. But I think there's also something different. I mean, the three of us are, are staffers, right? So we didn't go out front. But if you are somebody who puts your name out front, even if you're a member of Congress, you look around and say, yeah, there's 750,000 people in my district. I'm pretty sure I'm the best one. I'm pretty sure I'm the best. <laughs> if, you're, if you're the governor of a state, yeah, there's, there's, there's 10 million in my state. Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm the one. I'm the one who should run it all. And certainly most politicians have a confidence and sureness of themselves that they need to stay because they're the ones who are going to be able to fix the problem. So I think it's a combination of those two things. And as staff people, I agree with you, Steve. I remember as a young staffer for a member of Congress, picking him up at the train station instead of being able to go home and see his family, right? He had to go right to like the local VFW where they complained that he missed the last VFW meeting and then right to the next town and then spend the whole weekend going around the district where people complain they didn't see you enough. Meanwhile, he's trying his hardest, then he's got to go back to D.C., I mean, I agree with you. It is a rough life. It's a sacrifice for the people who do it for the right reasons, but sometimes it's perplexing as to why, especially at a moment like this when you have an opportunity to stand up and do the right thing. Right. That's when you have to do. That's what you put in all the time for. That's what you put in all the work for, not just to keep the title, but to be there at a moment where it really matters. For sure, it's that dynamic looking in the mirror, right? You know, it's I. I should be the leader of the United <laughs> States, right? right? You right. know, it's, you know, or the, the district, but like maybe like now too, it's just like that guy's crazy but I'm a lot crazier. You know, I should be the congressman. You know, there's some recognition of that. I mean, because I, I think looking ahead to 22, 24, I think it's going to be a cycle where there's some real crazies running. For sure. Well, look, there's freshman orientation going on for new elected members of Congress and QAnon's favorite congresswoman, Marjorie Green, or is it Marjorie Taylor, Mar whatever her name is. Yeah, whatever. I don't know. She, Marjorie she, Q. That's what we will call Marjorie her. Marjorie Q. <laughs> She Marjorie tweeted Q. out saying, I'm here at freshman orientation. All they're talking about is masks, masks, masks. And I proudly told my fellow freshman members that here in Georgia, we do whatever we want. We go to the gym, we go to the grocery store, we go to school, we don't wear masks. My body, my choice. I mean, how many more Marjorie Q's will there be in 2022 in congressional primaries? There's going to just be a shit ton of them. I just can't believe that masks have become like, that's going to, you're right. That's going to be like a threshold issue in a primary. Like I withheld <laughs> wearing a mask the longest. That's going to make me the most conservative somehow. It's horrible for the Republican party. It's just horrible that this became an ideological test. And if that becomes a test in 2022, right, we're just going to go further down to the right. It, it does remind me a little bit about 2010 when a guy like Mike Castle loses a primary in Delaware for the U.S. Senate, a race Republicans went from definitely going to win to definitely going to lose. And that could happen in 2022. It could happen on the Democratic side, too. And the Democrats are about to have their own issues in Congress between yeah. the more moderate wings and the more left socialist leaning wings. Maybe both parties will have it. I don't know. And then we'll have people from the far extremes running. And then maybe a third party pops up. Who knows? We're going to pay some bills, but stick around to hear us talk about where we go from here. Welcome back. We're here with Mike Duhame. So, Mike, do you think in the Northeast, this dynamic of Republican candidates needing to sort of out-Trump 
everybody else to win primaries. Are we going to see that, or is that going to be something that's more pronounced in the South, the Midwest, in the Plains? You think of the kind of moderate Republicans who've served as governors or U.S. senators in those states. As the party has drifted further to the right, if you are still a Republican in many of those states, man, you're hardcore. You believe it. You go to a Republican meeting of the Republican-like committee in the Bronx or Brooklyn, they are believers, man. They believe. So I think in the primaries, you are going to have people who are very strong right voters still voting. And, and I think that's changed even over the last maybe 10 or 12 years, as you've seen some of the more moderate representatives leaving. And there are some new people coming into the party that Trump brought in, but you do have a lot of people just leaving. And I don't think they're becoming Democrats. I just think they're becoming independents and less likely to vote in primaries now. Having grown up in New Jersey, you know, became fashionable to say, you know, I'm a conservative before I'm a Republican. I was always a Republican first. I was a moderate Republican from New Jersey. You know, we weren't a majority of the party, but we were a sizable influence on it. But I think like what I figured out about myself over the last four years, and I think, David, we talked about this, our politics, you know, things we disagree on for sure, but they're a hell of a lot closer, you and me, than it is from me to Matt Gates. Right. right or any right, right. or any yeah. any any of these people like we can drive the distance between us we need a spaceship and a warp drive <laughs> for me to close the gap right to um to that guy but what i figured out about myself like over these last couple of years is i'm an institutionalist these institution matters and we're all the same age i turned 50 this year i'm just i'm so angry about this just outraged over it to sit here at age 50 trying to explain to my children why these political leaders, some of whom they know, won't acknowledge the outcome of a presidential election, poisoning the country with nonstop bullshit. My, my expectations were really low heading into election day. And I knew at some level that Trump was going to do this. But one of the things like we talked about coming up the election, like who was going to put their toe in the water with them? And it is amazing to see. I mean, what a desecration of the sacrifices all through the history of the country that sustain the oldest constitutional republic in the world. I'm just, I, I can't tell you guys like how pissed off I am about it. Much of this, I realized, was driven by fear of Trump, not love of Trump, in my opinion, from the elected officials who you would think know better. So once he loses, you would think it's safe to be yourself again. But I really feel like the turnout being what it was, the perception that the race was closer than it was because it took so long to count the votes has made people believe he's going to continue to hold that political power and sway. And going back to our earlier part of the discussion, I think people want to keep the office as opposed to do something while they're in it. And that's a shame. This is one of the darker periods in American history. We've had a lot of dark periods. I am a little concerned that you're going to see more candidates decide to just say, you know what, the voters can do what the voters do, but I won. I know I won. It's scary. It really is. I just want to reflect a little bit your point about mass being the new dividing line. I think you're right about that. I hadn't thought about it. Like, let's say the two of you are running against a primary and, and Steve wore masks and you didn't, right? You'll be on a debate stage saying, Steve Schmidt wore I masks. Steve. I would attack Steve. He bought him for into that. the socialists and the deep state. And, you know, I didn't and let freedom ring. And you'll probably win that debate in a Republican primary. Yeah, he, you'd think he would. <laughs> but let me tell you what would happen. I would pull out and say, yeah, I wore a mask, but it was an Ivanka Trump mask made <laughs> by the small hands of slave labor and Chinese prisoners in her factory in Wuhan. And this one, is autographed by Matt Gates. So what do you say about that? 
Steve is a gifted communicator, gifted in that. <laughs> well done, Steve. I would, I would at that point drop out of the race. And yeah, right. He you. turned that around on you, Mike. I would drop out indoors. <laughs> <laughs> Party unity. I'd be with you then. Well, Steve may run for, you know, office himself, right, Schmidt? Is that the, uh, right, are the rumors true? Who knows? Yeah. There's some rumors. Let's keep Wide pushing open. the rumors. I'll do what I can to push them around. <laughs> Looking ahead to 2024, your old boss, Chris Christie, does he see a president looking back at him in a mirror? We see him running in this. Yeah, good question. I don't think he's ever ruled it out. He's still in his 50s, right? So I don't think he's ruled this out by any stretch. And I think you're going to see some chaos is what we're talking about in the Republican Party. I think it's going to be wide open as we get to 2024. Who knows? There may be names out there of people we don't know who are about to get elected to governor or U.S. Senate in the next two years that are going to be the next generation. But I think certainly he would have some of the strengths in that he's got some of the charisma and blunt talk of Trump, but actually combines it with a pragmatic side and a record of accomplishment, which actually came back to hurt him. Maybe you wouldn't be surprised that the greatest criticism we heard when we were on uh, in Iowa and South Carolina was that Chris Christie shouldn't have worked with President Obama in the aftermath of Hurricane Sandy a right. week before the election. It was uh, incredible criticism that followed him that somehow working with the president of the United States at a time of great natural disaster was somehow wrong. And so, you know, it, will the party be looking for that? I don't know. That's a question. But Christie has a platform and name ID and relationships in many of these states. So do others. I just think it's wide open. So I don't think anybody who has any of that would rule anything out at this point. I think Tucker Carlson's the Republican front runner. I think he's, I, I, well, I think, you know, you made up a great point, Steve, because maybe celebrity is really the new thing, right? There is no more New Hampshire way. Like Donald Trump did not win New Hampshire the way John McCain won New Hampshire. Donald Trump called into Fox News. He would fly up there and then he'd be back to LaGuardia that night sleeping in Trump Tower. He did not do it the New Hampshire way. He did it a different way. And celebrity may be the new thing. And who could be a greater celebrity right now than somebody who's got the top show on Fox, especially among Republican primary voters? God help us all. <laughs> <laughs> David, that was Mike Duhame, the guy I remember from politics. You know, I look back so many people that I stood shoulder to shoulder with. We stand on opposite sides now, but you know, Mike was always a truth teller. And I think you saw there, not just Democrats and independents that are worried about what they're witnessing right now in this moment. I hope Mike keeps lifting his voice. I think it's an important one. I think his call that those of us that know how elections work, whether you're a Republican, Democrat or independent, need to step out. Mike is someone I faced off against through the years, fierce competitor, fierce Republican. And for him to get to this point, Again, takes courage, as it has with you. But I always get worried because whether it's this conversation with Mike, conversations I have with you when we had Stuart on, talking to Rick Wilson. I mean, I think you guys all think that the times are going to be even darker over the next few years than they've been under Trump, which is hard to believe. But I think we really have to steal ourselves for that and understand we're not going to have clear skies for a while. No, we're not. We're still taking listener questions for a special Q&A episode. So if there's something you've been dying to ask about politics, the presidential transition, the Electoral College, the state of Delaware, whatever you want, just tweet your question to the recount and use the hashtag Battleground. Thanks so much to Mike DeHame for lending us his insights for this episode of Battleground. And thanks for listening to all of you. Battleground is a podcast from The Recount and iHeartRadio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review us on Apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. Aaliyah Jackson and D. Scott Carroll engineered this podcast. Allie Rogers is our associate producer. 
and Christian Castro-Lasell is our executive producer. 